there is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Hello and welcome to the Twilight Highlight Zone. I'm your host for this episode. My name is Ben Hansen and I'm joined by Jeff Cork. Jeff Cork with a chest cold. How's it going? I sound awesome. I sound very masculine for a change. Finally. This week, we are taking a look at five episodes from the classic series of Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're nearing the middle of season two. Yeah. These seasons are super long. This particular block felt like it would never end. Really? All yeah. right, well, we're going to go in and analyze and discuss each one of these episodes, some definitely better than others. All right, so the first episode is called Night of the Meek, and the basic premise is that it is a drunkard who dresses up every year to play Santa Claus at the local mall. He gets fired, happens to stumble across Santa's real bag that gives out magical presents wherever anybody asks for, and then he becomes the actual Santa Claus and flies away. Yeah. <laughs> this is just the schmaltziest garbage. Night of the week episode, huh, Cork? The funny thing, this is an episode that I remember seeing when I was a kid. Yeah. And I remember being really moved by it. <laughs> and I thought it was really powerful stuff. It made you love Christmas for and I, It made me love Christmas even more, but holy cow, it is awful. It's, it is it's terrible. It's not great. The best part, I think, is the soundtrack because they kind of have cool Twilighty zony versions of Christmas tunes. Mm-hmm. Outside of that... It is not great. In the beginning, like kids think that he's the real Santa Claus, of course, and they're crying and running up to him, and then he starts crying. Oh, yeah, because the kids are all... Their dads don't have jobs. He's living in the ghetto, all this kind of stuff. He gets like this... It's Art Carney as Santa, and he's giving this like super lame period speech after he gets fired for being drunk <laughs> in front of all these kids and he's like you know this is what i want for christmas you know uh, kids going hungry every night and it's like you know you, you really can't take the high road here yeah. santa you showed up drunk <laughs> another highlight of the episode is when kids are going up and sitting on his lap and there's a kid that goes up there and he's like hello son what's your name and he goes Percival Smithers. <laughs> he wants a new front name. <laughs> new first name for Christmas. He calls it a front name. Does he really? Yeah, he wants a new front name. Oh, man, I miss it's that. It's the best. Percival Smithers is a pretty solid name. Yeah, his mom is not pleased with that. And another like weird moment for me is like at the very beginning when he's at the at the bar. Yeah. And the, the bartender is like using fake snow on the mirror to spell out Merry Christmas. And either he's got weird handwriting or he's spelling it with just like one R. In cursive, and there's like no mention of that whatsoever. <laughs> the kids press their faces against the glass. Yeah. And their noses did the whole eye of a holder thing, and it made me think of that. And I thought I'd bring that up there because it it's, uh, has nothing to do with anything really. But No, I like it because when we thread all the Twilight Zones together uh, at the, the end of this entire exactly. run, that's how the kids are formed, or that's how the people on the planets of Night of the yep. Eye of the Beholder, it's all intertwined. It's all man. in the Zoneverse. <laughs> yeah. I also like the... The fake snow that's fallen down and getting caught in Santa's beard. It just looks like wads of paper. It's like somebody crumpled up like yeah. a college-ruled paper yep. and shoved it in his <laughs> beard. When he first gets the bag, he goes to this like homeless center where some nun is singing, uh, like rousing. I don't know what's the old Kamali faithful or something. Sure. But um, and he starts asking these old guys what they want. And one guy says he wants a sweater, and he's like, "What size?" And he says, "I don't care." 
<laughs> and then just all get this episode over with. Yeah, and then the, like the kids when he asks what they want, kids are very vague. They're just like, "I want a toy." Yeah, it's like, "All right, there's a toy." <laughs> and there's also that through line of the store manager and the cop that eventually brings them in. Like they're the biggest doubters. Then they end up getting like a, a fine old liquor that they mm-hmm. ask for, and they start to believe in the spirit of Christmas as they get progressively more intoxicated. And also they end up going home with each other, like arm over each other. Like, let's go back and drink. Yeah, we'll, we'll go back and finish this bottle. <laughs> and yeah. talk about what we saw tonight. Yeah, because yeah, Santa, when he when the bag finally... Because what they do is they go and he's like, this must be stolen merchandise when he's at the shelter. Right. So then they take the bag and the, the manager is just like, ha, I knew it. And then he's like taking stuff out of the bag and it's just like tin cans and garbage and stuff like that. Right. Eventually, though, he gives out all the presents and the bag is empty and... His drunk friend is just like, you know, you didn't get anything yourself. And he's just like, you know, oh, this was great. Goes into the alley. There's a sleigh with what I thought was a little person at first, but this is just a little kid. Jumping elf. out from behind a can. Terrifying. Like this weird leap. Yeah. 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 Anyway, then I thought they were um, like taxidermied reindeer, but they were actually, <laughs> I was like, oh, they're going to like totally cheap out on this, but they're a real reindeer. And that was nice. And then Rod Serling at the end does like a, Merry Christmas. And I'm sure right then he was just like, I'm so glad I'm Jewish because this is garbage. <laughs> I didn't understand what happened to the real Santa. Did he crash his sleigh and he was like dying in it, an alley back there? It's like a Highlander situation, I think. I don't know. Also, this episode stands out as being the only one I think so far that uh, has an inner title. Like when it cuts to commercial in the middle, it has like a Christmas theme. Like you are watching the Twilight Zone. Oh, yeah, kind of little thing. And I guess they're just so customized. They decided to leave it in there for the the Netflix transfer. Or yeah, that's transfer interesting. We're seeing here. Speaking of transfer, yeah, this is another one of the episodes that was shot on video. Yeah, and it's just miserable. It was like one more strike against this thing. You know, it was like of all the things it has going against it, yeah. just the way the fact that it is visually unappealing. It did that did not help. No, no. So as down as you are on this episode. It wasn't that offensive to me, and I ended up giving it a five. I gave it a upside-down five on a calculator. <laughs> okay. Good old number two. Good old boobless. Yeah. All right, Cork, take All right, one. we move on to dust. This one, uh, we, we start off in this desolate-looking western town. There's a man. He's sentenced to be hung. This gross guy comes into town. He is kind of being smug, and he's really excited that the hanging is going to happen. Apparently, the condemned man ran over a child with his wagon in a drunken spree. Uh, he sold the town the rope, and lo and behold, the father comes and begs for forgiveness. Because and the guy says, "Oh, I'll sell you some magic dust that will give. If you sprinkle on people's heads, it will let them forgive you, and love will fill their heads." So then, everyone gathers. They're about to hang him, and the old man, the dad, sprinkles the dust everywhere, and they go to hang him, and the rope breaks. And then the father of the girl who died. Says, there won't be a hanging tonight. And the end. But it was a new rope. It was a new rope. It was a new five-strand hemp rope. I don't know if there's been a more abrupt transition between episodes in Twilight Zone history <laughs> between the Christmas episode to this, which we should explain. It is a sad, slow, kind of somber episode mm-hmm. throughout the entire thing and i really really like this one like just when i saw the title just yeah. dust i was like oh i hope this is a bold episode that guy that peddler is one of the grossest people 
Because it's it's one of those westerns where everyone just looks like their for like the hair on their forehead is just plastered down with sweat. Yeah, and he has a missing front tooth. This guy is kind of a rotund, rotund guy. He needs a shave, and yeah. it's not like they blacked out his tooth. This actor like was missing a tooth, and he's just slimy and disgusting. And it's one of those movies like episodes two where you can tell that everyone wanted to like push like a, a cold compress on their face, you know, and that would feel really good or like. Slobber a bunch of water out of a canteen. It's another one of those. Everyone was miserable. Yeah. Do you think they felt pressure to do Western episodes just because Westerns were so popular back then? I think the sets were paid for is probably. (laughs) And I I would imagine that, honestly, I think they had access to the sets. Yeah. CBS did. And then uh, I would imagine that Westerns were quite popular, too. Yeah. And it's an easy kind of a departure from like a typical like modern setting. They could just be like, oh, yeah, this is just a morality play. We'll just toss it around here. Yeah. So anyway, the guy though, when he's the peddler, he's a slimy guy, and he just he does not make any attempt to hide it. Like, and he, he's super gossipy too. That's a he just oh, goes through no and wants to talk him. to everybody. He's like he reminds me of like the women in the suburbs and like Edward Scissorhands. Just mm-hmm. like, ugh, it's just disgusting. Yeah, and he's got the dust. He comes up with the idea, he like pours yeah. out the tobacco and just fills it with dirt, laughing constantly, laughing constantly. He sells the dust to the dad, and he's like cackling as if he's selling it. It's like it's making. No, there's like no effort to disguise what's happening here. Yeah. And the guy comes back with like a hundred pesos and people have, he's like, where did you get this money from? And he's like, oh, you know, my borrowed money. People have sold things. All you of know, his was, friends sold everything they had so that he could maybe buy this magic dust to yeah. potentially free his son mm-hmm. who regretted killing this lady. And it, like the father has this crazy speech where he's like, haven't you ever seen, you know, hope at the bottom of a bottle a super sad super sincere speech and like at first the dad is so struck he can't even talk like Mm -hmm. he gets his granddaughter in theory or some little girl to try and like speak for him to try and get this guy to not be hanged right right because he's that they're speaking to the parents of the little girl at that point right and um and then when the rope breaks everyone kind of you know just you know leaves the site of the hanging there's just like little beggars there yeah and this part kind of left me a little felt weird about it. The peddler like throws the money that he got from the dust to these uh-huh. kids. Yeah. And he's like, this is it. Take it. He's like, this is the money that these <laughs> the, the, the people were like loaning and selling all it's their good, personal it's good property. It's great to have the son alive, but they could use that money back. Give the money back. <laughs> Jeez. You're just going to give it to these like snotty nosed kids who were there to watch a guy die? Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Uh, so this episode, it was so dark mm-hmm. and then there's a scene where the father's like sprinkling the magic dust around oh, the head. it was site, so pathetic and he's just screaming magic is for love magic <laughs> is for love <laughs> over and over again it really stood out in this entire movie like the rest of it it just felt like a bergman film or something yeah just bizarre everyone is laughing at the old guy too yeah. it was it was hard to watch was there a part of you that was hoping that the guy would die that the rope wouldn't break yeah. Is, is there a part of you, like, when you're watching something dark that just wishes it would go darker? Like, with Breaking Bad, where you're mm-hmm. wishing, like, I hope a lot of these people die. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, wrong? sometimes. No, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think okay. that um, you kind of feel like some a little more is at stake. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah, I think it would have been a more interesting episode if, after all that, they still couldn't save them. Yeah. But, but what's the moral there in the Twilight Zone? Or is this case Don't the run moral... over someone in the in their cart. Exactly. <laughs> do you think that happened like they're going for like the drunk driving analogy but was that a thing 
Drunk driving? Drunk driving back in the 1800s. Oh, well, a wagon turned yeah, through yeah, town? Yeah, were there a lot of drunk horses and people steering it that just uh, took out kids? I don't know. Okay. I have no, I, I'll do some research. I'll get please, back to you. Please look into it. Yeah. But, so the moral this time around, Sterling says, in any search for magic, <laughs> first check the human heart. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a good one. Oh, and then the sheriff is the ultimate bummer. I yeah. should mention because like the guy, <laughs> after the rope breaks, he's like, I'm free. And then the sheriff just goes, are any of us truly free? <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, buddy. I appreciate they it. I should cut like, to him at the saloon in a neighboring town. And I said, are any of us <laughs> truly free? Yeah, I, I like this episode a lot. I end up giving it an eight. Really? Yeah. See, I like to do the play with the numbers a little bit. Just uh-huh. I give it half an eight. So I'm going to say a three, like slicing it vertically. <laughs> a three? Really? A three. Didn't you just enjoy how dark it was and how grim throughout the entire thing? I I love dark, grim things. I yeah. thought this one was just kind of boring. Oh, honestly, the peddler was like a ridiculous character, which I typically like in uh-huh. the Twilight Zone. But yeah, this one just didn't really do much for me. Wow, I'm struck. Yeah. All right, I'm curious about this next one. <laughs> this one's called Back There, and it opens with uh, a bunch of rich gentlemen discussing time travel. One guy leaves, and it turns out that he traveled back in time as he was exiting the building. He eventually finds out that it is the day that Lincoln was assassinated, and he is in D.C., so he enlists the help of a certain mysterious individual, who turns out to be John Wilkes Booth, to try and stop the assassination of President Lincoln. Uh, Booth drugs him, and then Lincoln still gets shot, and then he eventually travels forward in time again and tries to talk to his gentleman friends about what happened and they won't have it. And he learns the lesson that he has altered the life of one guy and turned him from a janitor into being a high class citizen. Yeah. Like some things you're are locked in the timeline. Right. And other things are not right. And so he could not stop Lincoln's death, but no. he saved this guy from being a janitor. Yeah. The, the janitor, I think he was actually more of like a, just a man, what we, manservant, would we call him? He was <laughs> the guy at the weird. club who, uh, if you bump into him, he'll spill the drink on you. Right. And right. pat pat it with a washcloth. Be like, yeah. oh, I'm so sorry, sir. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's that guy. So I didn't know where this one was going. And I was really confused in the beginning just about the fact that they were discussing time travel and whether or not you could change things in the past. Because they were doing it initially, though, with... How you make money, right? I think that talking at the end, isn't it? Well, they they do that at the end too. Okay, but I think that wasn't that like you manipulate the market somehow. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that makes more sense. But it's just confusing that these guys would just be talking about time travel. It was a little out there. Well, just the idea that they're talking about it and then without any reason, <laughs> he suddenly goes back in time well, when he, he steps outside. He touches his forehead. He gets a little wobbly. Yeah, it does. It blurs out for a little bit. Yeah, and I like how Serling. In his intro, he's like, who's ever heard of time travel? Like, he makes it seem yeah. like it's this big thing, like, get ready for this. Like, something we've done multiple times in the show already. <laughs> but, oh, boy, this time around. He's in he's in prison, right? Because people are just like, what is this nut job doing? He's kind of threatening he the life screaming of the president, about it. right? Yeah, yeah. But then this guy comes, John Willingham. Something ridiculous. Yeah. He's the like, most oh. theatrical entrance. He looks like a Sasha Baron Cohen character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll take you out of jail. So they're like, okay, we'll take you. You can go with him. Right. And he's like, I'll reform him. 
And then uh, doesn't he give him a handkerchief at one point to kind of like calm? I'm really into this washcloth handkerchief thing this episode. It's true. I think that's what I want. But um, yeah, that's the big re- reveal, though. Because he looks and it's embroidered with JWB. I love the idea that John Wilkes Booth, like, and he was a failed actor, right? And they, they play that up a little bit. He's yeah. so theatrical throughout this entire thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, has his initials on his <laughs> stupid handkerchief. Yeah, and they, he brings that in the present day, remember? right? Because he's the guy. The uh, the guy is so overwhelmed by the fact that the the guy who spilled the drink on him is now a big shot at the club, right? So he's like, "Oh, I'm getting the vapors. Only one cure for that, I do declare. <laughs> it's with this handkerchief that inexplicably came with me through time." JWB. So if you walked outside of this building right now, yes. And the lamppost turned into a a fire lit lamp. Oh, gas lamp, yeah, gas lamp. Gas which is the, it was the cool transition for this. It was episode. a cool transition. Would you try and stop the death of Lincoln, or would you think, you know what, everything turned out pretty well for America? I should just let this happen. That would be tough because okay. I would have quite a train ride ahead of me. <laughs> being, right. Seeing as we're located in Minneapolis. All right, so say you started, you went back in time and it was two weeks before Lincoln died. Oh, okay, so I had time to... And you still had all your current day money and it uh-huh. somehow transferred back then. Would okay. you make the trek to D.C. to try and stop this? Yeah, why not? But I guess I see your point. Everything turned out pretty well, ultimately. Yeah, and Johnson, I think, was the next president and he was a piece of crap. Yeah. But, so you're stopping him, but I mean, yeah, what's, what's the upside other than just messing up history forever? Yeah. Who knows how many butlers and janitors will be sitting at your dinner table when you, you get home? You know what I would do? What's that? I would buy a bunch of old-timey action figures and bury them because <laughs> they'd be worth a mint. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Leave Pop- them in the, I'd leave them in the package, though. Oh, I wouldn't play with them. Pop Quiz Cork what was the name of the play. Our American Cousin. Our American Cousin. I was cousin. so excited that they said that because I at first I was like, okay, he's traveled back in time. What's going on? Yeah. Can, I, I didn't know if this was like, did people in the 60s know the date of Lincoln's assassination? Were they that much better educated? So I, it was knew, nice it, I knew it because it's my birthday. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Not all of us were born that day, though. That's true. So, yeah. he put. I like how he pieced it together rather than like a newspaper that says, the president to watch a play. John Wilkes Booth is excited to perform <laughs> on a rope. Yeah, no, it was a nice touch. It's like, oh, say hello to the president for me as some people are going off And he's the, the, the wah, 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 president? Here? Did you now? say president? Also, like, when he travels back to the future mm-hmm. and he's at the table, like, he brings up time travel, like, hey, boy, this time travel concept, turns out some things can be changed, and everyone is just super bored by this conversation. <laughs> like, what has changed in the timeline for them to be riveted by a time travel discussion in the beginning of the episode? And now they're just like, okay, buddy. Yawn. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was just entertaining. I, yeah. I like the dumb portrayal of John Wilkes Booth, and I'm always up for a good time travel story. Yeah, absolutely. And one quick note, the reason yeah. that that one guy did get that big promotion to big shot dumb uh-huh. was because he was the constable who That's did right. believe the time traveler, so he scoured D.C. looking to save the day, and people remembered that. Yeah, yeah, so. and his influence spread. That's right. Yeah. Probably should have mentioned so that. So it wasn't just like a random event. I ended up giving this one a seven. I gave it a six. Well, all right. Yeah. See, we're coming back getting, into line after, getting, after that last disaster. Woof. Yeah. Woof. All right. So this episode that I'm going to do is called The Whole Truth. Uh-huh. All right. This guy is a used car salesman and all that implies. And suddenly an old guy comes and says, hey, you want to buy my old car? And the guy's like, all right, I'll buy the car. 
And he's like, okay, but one last thing after he signs the paper. This car is haunted. He's like, what the? I don't believe in this. He's like, yep, if you have this car, you can only tell the truth. And as you might imagine, that puts quite a dent in his job as a used car salesman. So after a series of catastrophes, he finally ends up telling, selling that car to another person who ends up being <laughs> Nikita Khrushchev. Of course. In the Cold War. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and that's how the Cold War ended, I think, in yeah. the lore of Twilight Zone. So I think it all started when the writers were like, okay, what are we going to do with this haunted car cliche that we hear so much about? <laughs> so uh, this episode started, and the, the salesman's name is Harvey Honeygut. Which is it, real quick, name. though, it starts with, there's a, like a certain theme for lighthearted Twilight Zone episodes. Musically? Yeah. It's like, you can play the music and cue it up or whatever okay. in post-production but and whenever that comes up i get really excited because i know it's going to be just like stupid light-hearted nonsense uh, and, and then this it turns delivered out, it turns out to be liar liar with politics <laughs> really made you think yeah there's also so he also tries to sell the car to a politician mm-hmm. like halfway through the episode yeah. and, that, and that's pretty wacky because the politician loves his pitch in the beginning. Yeah. He has a line where he says like, wow, you sharp shooting Sharpie. Like he just, <laughs> he loves this guy's approach of just being brutally honest about this piece of crap car. And the politician yeah. wants to seem like an everyman, I guess is the pitch. Yeah. Uh, but then he's like, what? This car will make me tell the truth. I'm a politician. You know how we work. <laughs> he immediately buys the story. Cause you yeah. know, why else would whatever haunted car, but remember like he's in the middle of the, the pitch though. Like pitching a young couple on another sale. Yeah. And in the middle, he sneaks off to conduct this complicated transaction of acquiring another car. Right. And that couple is stuck around. And at that point, he's unable to like lie. He's like, oh, the engine shot on it. Yeah, this is broken. And yeah, whatever. yeah. And then he has his assistant later on make some. Woody Allen. Yeah. No, actually, it's Artie Johnson. Oh, who's that? Uh, from Laughing. Not familiar. You don't know Laughing? I've heard of Laughing, but I would not. Did he host it or something? No, he was just one of the. He's got. You look it up, you'll recognize him. He's the one who always do that. Very interesting. Was like, Nixon on Laughing? Yeah, Sock it to me. Okay. Yeah, I date myself a little bit here. <laughs> I've only seen it on Nick at Night, okay? Jeez. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, his young assistant makes these new signs that are like not dependable or, you know, basically things to that effect. And yeah. he just puts them up all around the place. And then he asks for a raise. He's like, hey, you said six months ago that you right. know, if I worked hard. He's like, you're not going to get any of that money. That's not going to happen. That's what I tell all these people. Yeah. And uh, uh, his assistant or the salesman, Irv, ends up just going, it, it, I don't know what he says. He just gives him an uppercut, knocks, lays him out flat on the floor. He, well, he punches the air pretty clearly in front of his <laughs> face. This is one of the least <laughs> convincing stunts in all of Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah. They, he didn't fall down a flight of stairs in real life, no, that's for sure. No, definitely not. Yeah, it's like the fun part, and it comes through in Liar Liar a lot where he's like trying to write like uh, this pen is blue and he can't do it. Like yeah. I love the idea of like him struggling with himself with this, but it didn't really happen too much in this episode. Like every time he told the truth, this obnoxious music would play and he'd get really deadpan <laughs> about it. Yeah. Like, well, here's the way this actually works. Yeah. And it's like there weren't many fun scenes of him really trying to fight it too much. No. Oh. And the whole Nikita Khrushchev thing. I, what was your best guess for where that was going? Because like they already used their politician card. Yeah. It's like, who 
else. Like for a second, I'm like, maybe it's the president, but that's just kind of repeating. I'm Hitler. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I certainly didn't see Nikita Khrushchev coming as coming to the United States and wanting to buy a crappy American car. Yeah, because he wanted to like make the Americans look bad. Right. When you think right. he could have just done that anywhere, you just buy just the worst car. It was the most confusing thing. And then at the very end, after he sells the truth-telling card in Nikita Khrushchev, he calls up the White House yeah. and asks for John Kennedy. Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. There we go. And actually, I looked this up, and I guess one of the weird uh, details about this episode is that it aired on the actual inauguration day for JFK. Interesting. So they lined it up and planned it out ahead of time. This gem of an episode. <laughs> it's really our tip of the cap to all of American politics. And so there was a confusing moment where uh, the assistant salesman is talking about like how impossible it is to sell a car and all mm -hmm. the stuff this guy's been saying. And he says that the salesman while he's being haunted by this truth-telling ghost or whatever, he said that if the car was any older, Moses could have driven it across the Red Sea. Mm -hmm. Apparently, that's what he told somebody in an effort to tell the truth. But isn't that joke or that exaggeration in itself a lie? Like, Yeah, because that would be, that's impossible. You know what? I think that's impossible. I don't think Moses had a car. No. So really, really blur the line about what's a lie, what's not. It made you think on so many levels. I just don't... I want to know how this old guy acquired a haunted car. I wonder if they do any sequel episodes in Twilight Zone or like prequel episodes. I demand to know more about the lore of this haunted car. Yeah, it could just keep going back forever. Did it start out as a haunted bicycle? Hmm. What part... Like if you took that car apart piece by piece... Yeah. What part makes it haunted? Is it once it's all compiled into one mm -hmm. automobile that drives or is it like the fender if you install that onto another car? Yeah. Is that car in turn haunted? That's a good question. Is critical mass? Clearly, what makes you unable to tell a lie is when you sign the lease for the car. Ah. He's very particular, like, hey, Nikita has to sign this thing. We don't want any assistant mm -hmm. helping out here. Yeah. So it's when you finish signing your name, that's what transfers a ghost into your soul. I think yeah. For official ghost lore. It really makes this sense. is a really baffling episode. I don't know what they were going for. <laughs> yeah, I ended up giving it a six. Yeah, that's what I give it too. Okay. I don't know why I like this one more than Dust, but you're crazy. At least for that. this one was like weird. <laughs> it was weird and so wildly unpredictable. I had to go along with it. Yeah. Next episode is a little one called The Invaders. Serling introduces it as a house untouched by progress, and there is a lone mute woman living in this home that looks like it's from the 1800s. She hears a UFO land, goes to investigate. Two tiny aliens in suits get out and attack her in her home. The rest of this episode is this silent struggle with this mute lady against these tiny aliens. She eventually defeats them, and then you hear a radio broadcast coming from the UFO saying, Don't come. Cancel the invasion. Central control. Central control. She was too powerful for us. We've encountered this race of giants. And then it zooms in on the logo and it's the U.S. Air Force mm -hmm. UFO. So it turns out that it was us landing on a planet filled with giants. A giant S. A giantess that is stuck in the 1800s. Or something. I think the, the thing there, they were trying to show like, 
no real culture or civilization that would make you think it was anything other than right yeah right which is pretty smart it's the same reason she doesn't talk throughout the entire episode exactly apparently it wouldn't make sense for an alien to speak english even though they've done that a couple times in the past that's true yeah we'll give them the benefit of the doubt so instead of talking she just has these high-pitched moans and grunts that really sound unnatural but then again it's an alien so you can't really judge yeah exactly Cork, as I was watching this, I was thinking the entire time, this must be Cork's favorite thing. Because this is, it is pretty close to it. It is a giant <laughs> fighting tiny guys that look ridiculous. So like they don't look like astronauts. No. They look like kind of Vogons from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie. Just like super stocky, wide spacesuits mm-hmm. that make the sound of wind-up toys. Yeah. And they... Do they have the wind-up thing on their head? I don't think they do. They have some kind of little antenna, though. Yeah, that and certainly I think that looks was, like it. That was another like really smart detail, though, is they had to make it so that they looked alien. Right. But in retrospect, you're like, oh, they're humanoid. They're some kind of like weird pressure suit that would enable them to live. You know, because at that time, yeah. you know, we weren't exactly soaring through the solar system. You know what it looks like? It looks like in Rocket Man when Harlan Williams farts in his suit and it inflates. That's kind of what the aliens look like in this one. Uh, I'm sure that's what they're going for. Yeah, it's probably exactly what they're going for. This episode was awesome. It was great. And I love, <laughs> I like how you have these things that uh, they're not threatening on any physical level, really, but at the same time, they are because they have that weird little beam thing. Like that, the Buzz Lightyear laser beam. Yeah, it looks like that. It's like a little LED. Yeah. And it just, or it's probably a little tiny incandescent light at the time. Right. But it makes like a little crackling, popping sound, and she recoils in pain. And at first, you're like, what is that all about? And yeah. then later on, you see she's getting like blisters and like... It's like giving her warts or something. Yeah, like, some kind of radiation. Yeah, and attack. I didn't know if it was from that weapon or if it's just like she was struck by disease from these invaders right away. But yeah, it seems like that weapon was taking her out. And then... And then... They eventually get a knife and it looks like the craziest thing when these tiny <laughs> toy aliens are holding this gigantic knife yeah. and slashing at her feet. Yep, there's a moment where... She is by the door and there's like a little hole in the door that one of them has blown through, like blown a hole in the door. It looks like a little mouse trap, like yeah. a like a mouse hole in a cartoon. Uh-huh. And she's standing there on the other side of it and there's like a spotlight from the thing like yeah. looking in and she's hovering above it with like a hatchet, just waiting and waiting and waiting. There's another, nothing comes with that because it <laughs> runs away and they make little scampering footprint sounds. Yeah. It's great. Uh, there's another moment when she finally gets one and kills it though because it's like on the bed. So I'm confused about what he was doing. It was like a comedic moment where it was like trapped under the sheets and it was just kind of like wandering around under the sheets. Yeah. And she, she wraps it up in that. And she just beats that thing to <laughs> death against the table. And it then was burns like burns it in the fire. And then burns it in the fire. She locks it in a box and puts it in the fire. Yeah. Her yeah. best well, presumably her best box. <laughs> but and then, then like the, the yeah, she gets cut by the hand in her hand. But what's you know? weird is you never see blood. And I didn't know if that's because they couldn't show blood in the 60s on TV or if they wanted to kind of hint that she wasn't human. I think she gets some on her hand. I think it's very subtle, but I think that when she when okay. it cuts her hand, you can yeah, see yeah. it a little bit. But I, I love this episode. I love any show like this. And like Jurassic Park does it really well with like the raptors. Mm-hmm. We're just constantly trying to keep track of where they are. Yeah. So it's like, it makes it very clear. There's only two invaders yep. in this house and she's dealing with one and there's constantly hints of where the other ones mm-hmm. are yep. because of like footsteps that you can hear in the distance. Yeah. Like she's got like the loft area, which is where the ship landed. Right. And then the others are just there. I knew this was coming and I watched this with my six-year-old. Oh, wow. Because I was, I try to like, you know, watch I had the Beholder with him uh-huh. and I was really excited about his reaction to this one just to right. kind of like 
I like the idea of uh, like a kid learning about your expectations, kind of getting you know up upended to a it's certain a good degree lesson for life. You're saying, yeah, well, daddy okay. doesn't always come home. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, and he re- he really liked it. It was kind of spooky for him, you know, which is kind of silly. But he did, did he laugh at whenever? Because whenever you see these toys, they're doing very clearly like a wind up toy kind of wobbly walk. Mm-hmm. They are absurd. If you look at them, you'll you'll probably laugh. Did he laugh? No, he was pretty spooked out just because the music I think is really effective. And another thing that that uh, is brilliant is the lighting design on it, because um, whenever she moves around, she has like a candlelight or something like that. Yeah, and it's it's a very simple trick. Like things are being uh, like they're just dimming lights and turning lights up and everything. But it does make it look as though there's like a natural light source where there are constantly shadows and places for these little guys. Yeah, to hide. they really blow it when she like walks into a place with a fireplace though, and she has her tiny candle. And then the candle goes out and the room goes super dark. But it's like, there's a fireplace right there. It's roaring. Like, well, there's a box on top of it. <laughs> oh, that's right. With the dumb alien yeah. inside of it. So did your kid understand the, the twist at the end? Yeah. We I, we talked about it a bunch afterward, too. But yeah. What didn't he understand? Um, I think <laughs> at first he probably didn't understand the twist completely. <laughs> yeah. You had to explain what the Air Force was? I had to explain why there was a giant lady attacking the people. Okay. And then it made complete sense. After I basically broke down the entire concept, yeah. But you knew the twist ahead of time, right? Yes. Just because this, this is a really a, iconic episode. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah. like I watched it back in high school, and I didn't remember it right away. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until she first encounters them, we're like, wait a minute, I yeah. think she's a giant. That's right. Yeah. yeah. This is another like it's referenced in the uh, Twilight Zone pinball machine as well. Oh. When your game ends. You have like a typical like match screen where it has like the last two digits from your score and it'll yeah. match like a randomly generated number. And one of those little aliens pops up and he shoots all the other numbers, leaving the the last one and he spins his little light thing. Oh, awesome. Yeah. The, one of the highlights of this episode and also one of the worst things was the sound design. It was all over the place because like the footsteps were so cool. Yeah. You can just hear them running around in the attic or any place else. Mm-hmm. Then every time you see them, it has like the sound of a wind-up toy. It is really a wind-up toy sound. And it's the worst. Like if you're going to make them look like a wind-up toy, at least try and use the sound design to make it seem different in some way. Mm-hmm. But it's not. Yeah. And then also they have the super uh, cheesy UFO sound. <laughs> Where did that come from? Is that just I don't know from the 50s? Or do you think somebody reported it once? I think someone invented the theremin and they were just like, here you go. Done. This is what a UFO sounds like. <laughs> I'm going to make a fortune up these theremins. <laughs> Come on, sci-fi boom. Exactly. The other highlight of this episode for me was when she fell back on the bed and then the alien landed on her chest. Clearly somebody was just off camera, like throwing the dumb toy at her mm-hmm. and she had to react. Like apparently it had leapt from across the room or yeah. it has a jet pack. I don't know what they're going for. <laughs> She had to, like, Agnes Moorhead, the actress, she had to feel like the biggest fool oh, man. during that entire thing, but she did a phenomenal job. It's amazing that it turned out as well as it did, because it could have been the dumbest thing. I'm sure the entire time she was shooting that, she's like, oh, God, this is the end of my career. Yeah, as soon as <laughs> some guy came out with one of those things at the end of his arm, here you go, I'll be working with you today, Miss Moorhead. <laughs> uh, I ended up giving this one a nine. Yep, yeah, same here. All right. Well, I think uh, I think this is definitely one of the highlights so far. Yeah, it was a it was a rough block of five though. I think in general, man, dust was cool. I don't know. I, I disagree. I think it was the super depressed father that sold me. Like yeah. if that guy hadn't have done such an amazing job with his performance, I, I probably would have been in your camp too. But 
All right. Well, thanks I'm for sorry. joining us for this block of five episodes from uh, Twilight Zone. Uh, tune in next week on Monday. We're going to post it, and uh, we will cover the next five. By highlights, 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 highlights.